From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 99. Today's show is brought to you by Backblaze and Igloo. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell from an undisclosed location somewhere in California. It's so hot, Mike. Hi. <laughs> it's so hot. How you doing? Oh, good. Where are you? I drove south. I'm in greater Los Angeles now, and it's hot. Boy, it's hot. And my mother-in-law doesn't like to use air conditioning. Mm-hmm. And Mike doesn't like it when you're recording, so... Well, that's true. That's true. I do actually have a fan on, a ceiling fan on, at the lowest setting, and that is my way of balancing, very important to balance mm-hmm. in your life, mm-hmm. balance between noise and dying, so... And also, you know, even if it's not really cooling you too much, you know it's there, so you're doing something. So at least your yeah. brain is happy. <laughs> Right, Thank you you have some kind of comfort in knowing that you, you have attempted to keep yourself cooler. At least I at least I tried. I have some follow up for you, Jason. Oh, good. It starts with a couple of questions, actually, and they're both uh, surrounding comics. Many people enjoyed our comic discussion. I have not yet read any of those comics, but I am going to. Oh, good. But okay. I just well, not yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to sign up for Marvel Unlimited. I think is what I'm going to do. Hmm. Um, I just haven't done that yet. And I've got some trips coming up, so it'll be good to, to have some entertainment for those trips. In fact, somebody somebody um, suggested to me that we do an incomparable episode that is just uh, reading recommendations for Marvel Unlimited after our conversation on Upgrade yeah. last week. And I thought that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, because I bet more people have it than just you, right? So there'll be more suggestions. and Oh, yeah. There's, yeah. And going into a little bit more depth about the stories than we did, I guess. Well, right. And, and I mean, people, because people who sign up for it, they're like, all right, now I've got access to 10,000 comics. What should I read? And, yeah. and you go, well, I don't know, right? It's so, like a paralysis of choice. Yeah. But Darren asked, uh, do you have any go-to websites or podcasts that you read or listen to that give you the comic news that you want to look for, if you do at all? It's funny because I actually did a presentation um, that I've been working on for a while, and I gave it at uh, the Yosemite Conference this year mm-hmm. uh, by CocoConf, um, and uh, it was about ways. Uh, in part, it was about uh, ways the internet has failed us, <laughs> and uh, one of those ways I, f- I feel like the example I give is the web is built to. Um, to serve people who've got a lot of enthusiasm for a subject. Like, that's what the the web is really, really good at. And whether it's uh, TV shows or movies or comics or politics or, you know, your technology, whatever it is, um, the web has shown that it's really a great uh, medium for reaching people who are very excited about a subject. It's narrow niches of, of uh, topics. Um, the problem is that if you're not somebody who's like super deep down excited about that topic, the web is actually, I think, kind of bad for this stuff. It's bad if you're mildly enthusiastic about something. It used to be like if you if you didn't care too much about computers, but you wanted to be up to date, if you read your local newspaper, right, there would be a computer columnist who would write once a week about what was going on in computers. And if there was a big news story, there'd be a news story. But in a lot of uh, on the internet, it's sort of like you've either got nothing or you've got kind of everything. And I always use the comic books as an example because I am somebody who likes comic books. And I would read news about comic books, but I am never going to go to a comic book site every day and read the news. Just like never. It's never going to happen because I'm not that, I just don't care that much about it. I'm mildly interested, but I'm not super deep down in it. Um, so I don't have any on that level, but I would say the ones that I, um, the ones that I tend to look at when there's comic book news 
are um, comicbookresources.com and newsarama.com, which are, again, kind of overkill and not the greatest, um, but they're... <laughs> There, uh, they do have information. Uh, sometimes a Google, a Google News search on a subject. I, I for a while I was just when it was unclear what was going to happen to Miles Morales, the lead character in Ultimate Spider-Man. I would just occasionally do a Google News search for Miles Morales and see what came up uh, because I couldn't find um, you know any site that I wanted to just go visit and, and get that information. The other one I throw out there is there's a uh, a blog on the Hollywood Reporter's site called Heat Vision. That's got uh, some good stuff in it, and that's at a, a higher level. It's you know comic book and superhero media news, and since that's from THR, um, it's got a lot of stuff on it right now because of Comic Con. But it, it's it's a it's a step back. It's not it's not as intense as an entire site. THR obviously is one of these sites devoted to uh, covering the entertainment industry, and then they have this blog Heat Vision, which is about about uh, superhero ish stuff. And so that that would be a that'd be a recommendation I'd make too. Yeah, I guess if you're looking for Comic-Con news, right, The Hollywood Report is probably the best place right now because that's kind of their intersection. Yeah, I mean, The Hollywood Reporter, uh, since they cover film and TV and so much of Comic-Con these days is film and TV, they've done a really good job. I, I So uh, people may not know, I do a podcast on uh, Fridays, actually. That's my Friday podcast with... Uh, Tim Goodman, who's the chief TV critic at The Hollywood Reporter. It's called TV Talk Machine. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun to do that with him and talk television with him. Uh, and so I, I'm always paying attention to what's on the, the Hollywood Reporter website. And they do uh, they do some great coverage of... They had a lot of people down at Comic-Con. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that would be another place I'd look, I think. Uh, that's some good recommendations. So it's like with me, right? Like I'm kind of that way with video games. Uh, I'm a I love video games, but I don't check video game websites every day in the same way. So like what I do though, like I just follow one or two kind of um news websites, Twitter accounts, just so I get a little bit of the taste of the headlines. That's a good idea. Yeah, the problem with some of those Twitter accounts is it's literally every headline, and 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 I find that kind of overwhelming. But there are some where the the I have I actually one of the things that I found is useful is having people following people who care about comics, mm-hmm. um, who I find interesting or who work in the business and who I find interesting because then not only am I getting their kind of conversations here and there on Twitter, but I'm also seeing the links that they're tweeting and retweeting, and that ends up floating the most important stuff to the top. Um, our next question comes from Michael, and he asked if you had any suggestions for a comic reader on OS ten or Mac OS. Do you have any uh, any suggestions for that? Yeah, I went back and forth with Michael on Twitter um, about this. Uh, I initially, because uh, he says, don't judge me. Uh, that's the end of this tweet. And I, I, I misread it and thought he was talking about iOS. Um, because something that I didn't really talk about, this idea that uh, the uh, there's DRM-free stuff and it's also you know these are also readers used for piracy (laughs) but there are legitimate reasons to do it if you've got a pdf of a comic there there are comic companies uh who will sell you drm free stuff comiXology will do it for all the non-marvel or dc stuff anyway so on on ios i really like chunky comic reader on the mac honestly the day the ipad came out in in 2010 
I stopped reading comics on my Mac. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, was yeah. I was doing it up to that point. In fact, I would just take my laptop and put it on its side so it was properly oriented and read comics that way. That way, I read I read a lot of comics that way, but uh the moment the iPad came out, that was the end. So, uh it's been a long time, but I did uh, recommend to Michael the one that I tended to use was called Comic Book Lover, and there was also one called Simple Comic, and I'd say check those out. Uh, I, I can't give you any testimony of how they are six years later, but Comic Book Lover was the one that I used a lot back in the day. Is that by uh, Bit Cartel? Yeah, that's the one. And this website is not fresh Fro- looking. <laughs> Frozen in t- 2010, possibly. Uh, it this- still has the logo of Universal Application, as in... <laughs> iPhone for, and iPad? For, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, you're right, Mac. Intel and PowerPC. Yeah, even <laughs> yeah, worse. Yeah, we're talking Mac. Yeah, yep. it's... it's um. So I, I, I wish I, I could give a better... If somebody does know of a, a really amazing Mac comic reader, write in and we'll mention it uh, on the next show because I honestly don't know because, I mean, literally, that was like the, the moment the iPad was announced. I was like, oh, okay. Like, because Comixology was already out for the iPhone at that point and I kept sort of struggling with this idea of, well, yeah, you could read a comic on your iPhone, but... Uh, that's such a small screen and then when they announced the ipad i I was like oh okay here it is and that was it i never never went back um again so i've gone to simple comic and it's taken me to one of those i guess shareware like Like sites down download sites yeah yeah and i look at this and i'm like i know we complain about the mac app store but boy this is no way to get applications yeah The, the ios app store is so good because I don't have to deal with this stuff because there are literally four links on this page with download buttons. Probably 75% of those links will try and install malware on my computer. Yeah, or they'll or they'll generate a bunch of pop-ups and mm-hmm. I mean there there are lots of pieces of software that you can get that are uh you know, you get to the independent developer's website and they offer a download. But definitely, there were a lot of people who didn't have a lot of money and they were doing this sort of out of, out of love. And they would use one of these sort of alternate download systems to provide their bandwidth. And uh, yeah, it was a terrible experience. I always hated that when I would go to a website. I find a utility. It's like, oh, this sounds like maybe this is a utility I want to try. And then I click on the download link and it would be like, we're going to take you to cnetdownload.com or whatever. And I'm like, no, no. Just give me the file. Yeah, it's it, you know I know there are a lot of problems in the Mac App Store, and I wish that there was a, a way to fix it and make everyone happy for everything, right? But that you know I just remember going back to those days, and it's terrible. It's 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 no it's no bueno. You went through a time machine, Mike. <laughs> I really did. Seeing that Universal logo, and they had uh, an OS X. Um, I can't remember what version of OS X it was, but the the disc was black, and it had the big black X, and there was like oh, yeah. uh, a nebula behind it. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember all of Which that. Which one was that? That's the one where when you installed it the first time, it played like music and stuff. And that little movie, and you were uh-huh. flying through space. I mean, you know, because um, it... it Especially is embedded in me because that was when I jumped onto the Mac, right? My my first Mac was an Intel iMac. So the wow. Universal logo was important to me. <laughs> That's true, because otherwise it would be using Rosetta, right? Yeah, which sucked. <laughs> well, it was really great. 
if you had lots of PowerPC yeah, software for that me, you, right? you needed, but, but if you just bought an Intel iMac for the first time. Oh, look, they they have a quote for me, I think. On oh, really? The, on the, I think on the Comic Book Lover website, the oh, tip to quotes, Lord. one of them is Andy Anatko and one is from Macworld, and I think, with a capital W, which isn't right, I think that's me. I think I wrote that. Comic Book um, Lover is the iTunes for digital comics. Yeah, because it had a whole organizational system in it, too. Because, I mean, let's be honest, at that point, all of the stuff was coming from piracy. But So you download a thousand issues of something, and you'd want to be able to organize, organize your collection and stuff. But it was, uh, yes, uh, version 1.7 is for Mac OS X, 10.7 through 10.9. Older versions available for 10.5 and 10.6. Anyway, that was the one that um, I used, and it was, it was pretty good. But I can't, was, is it good now? I have no idea. Probably not. Um, I saw this fly by. You probably did too. Apple is uh, going to be selling some Olympic-themed watch bands in the Rio uh, Olympic area. I didn't see this. Um, I rely on you for all of my Apple Watch band needs. And you, got you me. have come I, through. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they have a bunch of country flag um, of the nylon bands, but you can only buy them in the Olympic Park in Rio. So these things are going to be very expensive on eBay because there are some great-looking ones in here. I am partial to Australia, Japan, Jamaica, New Zealand, the UK, and the Netherlands. They are my favorite ones. The USA one's pretty good too, actually. Yeah, they're all, it's cute because they're not like putting the whole flag on there. It's yeah. like the colors are of the flag, and there's some where there's like some flags where there's basically a primary color and a little tiny something in another color. And what they're doing is the little loop for the band is in that color, and mm-hmm. the band is in the primary color. It's very a very clever set of uh, of designs. They're cute, but only available in Rio, which means I, I like this idea. It's just like with the with the Pride band that they did. It's they're creating these special collector's yeah. item rarity yeah uh, like i bands. want one but i like that they're doing it this way if that makes sense like i want to be able to buy these but i also kind of like the fact that they're making them limited right yeah so um, there you go. if anybody uh is, is sees these things on ebay let me know <laughs> I, might, I might purchase one or two depending on if they're less than a gajillion dollars or something which i'm sure they will be but do you know what else you can buy, Jason, to look really cool for not a lot of money? Uh, what is that? A hat, Mike? You can buy a hat, but also a Six <laughs> Colors t-shirt. What? What? <laughs> you can go now to our show notes. There will be a link to the official Six Colors t-shirt. There are three color uh, shirts with the beautiful 6C logo emblazoned on it and the lovely 6 colors that have been picked from somewhere i don't know where they came from somewhere somewhere on the internet those six colors came from and Uh you can uh, you can wear that logo on your body i'm going to be buying one um and i'm probably going to go for the heather gray option there because i think that looks real cool yeah so the the shirt colors are all basically monochrome because the Mm -hmm. idea is that the the, they're the six colors and doing a six process color shirt on a it is uh, really expensive. I know all about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, every color. Yeah, exactly right. Every color adds. Done that a couple of times now. Every color adds to the to the problem. So, uh, it's not uh, the cheapest shirt that yep. I've ever put up on Cotton Bureau, but it is. Every uh, time I great. do one of these, like multiple multiple color shirts, like a six color shirt, or I think we went even more for the connected shirts. Um, 
I I say to myself, never again. And then I do it again. Because it's so difficult to do this and to get it right. Um, because there's so many things happening. But Cotton Bureau can do it. We know they can do it because I was wearing my beautiful ATP t-shirt yesterday. That came from Cotton Bureau. So yes. I'm very excited to get Me one too. of these because these they do make great shirts. They do. But, uh, they do. It's just expensive to get them out of the US. But such is life. You've Sometimes you've got to go for the good stuff and that's what we're getting. Yeah, they are the shipping. I I, I talked to the cotton, cotton beer guys about international shipping. They are they are aware of the issues. It's real they difficult. Say, it's real they, difficult to get that yeah. stuff to work. Yeah, and if you go through the, you know, they want to do customs and declarations and values and things like that, and it gets very expensive and it's too yeah. bad. But that's I, I I decided to go for the go for the quality, and they mm-hmm. do make very good shirts. So if you're not in the U.S. and and you're looking at the shipping charges and thinking how awful it is i would say see if you can find some friends uh to go in on and ship them together or find a friend in the u.s and uh have them get it for you and then give it to you the next time they see you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or use it as packing material when they send you your christmas present or something i don't know Uh, i just saw uh a thing fly by you may be interested in this it's a wall street journal article so can't yet read it i'll have to wait for the digests um there is a rumor in the wall street journal that bob mansfield is going to be taking over apple's car project huh that's just popped up in the news right now big bob big bob he's on special projects this is as special as it comes that man knows production you know remember when he retired and then he came back and yeah I wonder what the story is there. I wonder if he's just like, he can't help it. Yeah, what was it that he came back? Something happened and then he came back. Right? Oh, they fired uh, Papermaster, wasn't that it? Didn't he get brought back when they fired Papermaster? Oh, was it? The guy they hired from IBM? Oh, yeah. Or was it? Uh, okay, yeah, I knew it was a uh, firing. I thought it might have been Forstall, but I'm, I'm going to go with uh, your memory know, maybe, that Maybe one. that was it. I don't know, but it was, uh, yeah. And he was like brought back in from retirement. And yep. now, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I We've talked about this before. I think you got <laughs> at Apple people with a lot of money, senior people. We were driving, we went, Lauren and I went to a concert in the South Bay, right right south of Cupertino, in fact. And we were driving through the this neighborhood. And I said, you know, this is, um, you know, who lives here? Because these, these houses all probably cost two or $3 million. And they're not like mansions. They're nice houses. But in that part of the world, the, the real estate is incredibly expensive because you're so close to all of these Silicon Valley companies. And I was thinking about that thing that, that, uh, that we've talked about before, where if you're a fairly senior person, not even like a executive top, top level, but a fairly senior person at Apple, and you've been there a while and you've got all, you've had all the stock options and things like that, plus your salary. And, uh, you, you know, you could probably retire, <laughs> right? You could probably just go do, do what John, uh, was it John Rubenstein wanted to do, which was, uh, go, I forget who it was. One of, one of those executives that was like, I'm just going to go to Mexico and live on a beach. Um, and you could do that <laughs> probably. So Bob Mansfield, I always felt like maybe that was be a his call. story. Yeah, it's a calling. They just can't let go of it, right? They just want to make this stuff. Right. And he might have had personal issues. He might have had kids in school or something like that. I mean, people make decisions based on all sorts of factors that we don't even see where it's like, well, you know, the fact is I don't need to work right now and my kids are, are going to be moving out of the house in the next couple of years. So I want to spend time with them. Yeah. And, and then they go to college and you're like, uh, hey, Tim, uh, <laughs> I don't play golf, so can I come back to Apple? <laughs> I, I, 
not saying that's what happened with Bob Mansfield, but I, I do think about that sometimes of like, yeah. what what happens when you're in a position where you're uniquely uh, qualified and connected to do something like work at Apple and build these famous products that are, you know, changing the world or whatever. And, uh, but you also have, so you've got all the money uh, that you, that you realistically need and you've got these Apple connections and you've got your personal, you know, life and all of that and like balancing those. And do you throw away the Apple stuff? Are you so obsessed that you will always do the Apple stuff because you love it and that's who you are or are you in the middle sometimes and they're like yes but uh and everybody has to make their own decision i'm sure there are people at apple who have just left with the money and gone away and are living on that proverbial mm-hmm. beach in mexico but uh i do wonder about that i was somebody wrote an article about this uh, one of the analysts i can't remember who about how apple's like number one problem was retention and i can see it i, I mean i totally can see it when you have that that much success over that 10 15 year period uh some of your people are probably going to be like hey why am i I working 80 hours a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just assume that, you know, you get, maybe you want to leave because you get bored with the work and then they offer you something like building a car and then you come back again. Right. Like that's how I look at some, somebody like Bob as well. Like maybe why did he leave the first time? Maybe he had just done all he wanted to do and then they offer him something else, enough a special project and he comes back again. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, maybe he said, I'm just kind of tired of the job that I, I mean, we will never know. And I, I feel kind of bad because everybody, you know, everybody's got their public life and their private life and, uh-huh. and, 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 you know, but so that's what I would say is you, you do wonder, like, is that just a matter? Obviously, they think the world of him. And I never got the sense that I always got the sense like that he was leaving and they were sad. Right. And then he keeps coming back. So, I mean, I guess the door was always open there for, for, for Big Bob. Episode 100 of Upgrade is coming next week, and the return of Mike at the Movies will be gracing your ears, and we will be watching Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. I'll be watching it over the next few days, so I'm ready for the episode, and we just want to recommend it so you can too, so you can listen along as me and Jason shout Khan really loudly. Exactly. I know that's the thing that happens in the movie. Captain Kirk yells Khan at one point, it's true. Mm -hmm. And I think if it's anything like Star Trek Into Darkness, people die. But it's yeah. the other way around or something. It's kind of like out. Star Trek Into Darkness, Mike, but uh, kind of different. We'll find out next week. <laughs> this episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Backblaze, the unlimited native backup solution for your Mac and PC. You can sign up for a 15-day free trial with no credit card required at backblaze.com slash upgrade podcast. That's one of the funny things about uh, our show. Sometimes, sometimes sponsors already have slash upgrade <laughs> taken. So we are slash upgrade Funny. podcast. We didn't think of that when we didn't think it. of that. Didn't think of that. But the the uh, the great crew over at Backblaze they helped us with a great URL. As well as safely and securely backing up all of your files, Backblaze gives you access to all of that data with their iOS and Android apps. So you may know of Backblaze, and you may know that they are a great online backup service. But when you have a company that has all of your data, wouldn't it be great if they could just give you access to those single files wherever you need it? That's what their iOS apps can do. And I have done this in the past. I just open the Backblaze app because it's something that was maybe saved on my desktop or saved in my documents files and not in Dropbox or something like that. But I needed that file. And you can go into Backblaze and it will be there because Backblaze has already backed it up from your system. You just go in through the file system that they have in their app and then you can grab it on iOS and Android and throw it out to another application, maybe Numbers or Word or something like that. It's 
it's right there. They also have a web restore tool available for quick downloads of single files as well. I think that's so great. And this is why they have restored over 10 billion files. Lots of them are just single file restores. And just to grab that little file that you know is somewhere, but it's just not available to you. As well as the... If you lo- So let's say you lose everything, say something terrible has happened, which can happen, unfortunately, and you need to restore everything. Sometimes it can take a while for internet connections to download all the many, many terabytes of data that you have. So Backblaze will also do restore by mail. You can buy a hard drive from Backblaze. They will FedEx you all of your data overnight. Then all you need to do is return the drive within 30 days and they'll refund you the cost of the drive. How great is that? Backblaze securely look after 200 petabytes of data, and you can see why, because they think of everything. Backblaze is a great off-site addition to local backups like external drives and Time Machine, which you should also be doing. You should be doing local backups. Then you have Backblaze as your off-site. It's just another essential part of your backup strategy. There are no gimmicks or additional charges. It's just $5, for un- $5 a month for unlimited, unthrottled off-site backup. Plus, if you are a developer or you need archives, check out Backblaze B2, Backblaze Cloud Storage, for half a penny per gig per month. What a great deal. Upgrade listeners get a 15-day free trial of Backblaze by going to backblaze.com slash upgrade podcast, and your personal backup will start at just $5 a month for that unlimited off, unthrottled off-site backup. Make sure that you go to backblaze.com slash upgrade podcast. That's how they know you came from us, and it also helps support the show. Thank you so much to Backblaze for their support of Upgrade and Relay FM. Got to use offline backup or online backup. You got to do it. You got to. Yep. Off-site online. Off-site, off-site online. online. That's the one yeah because even having a time machine drive in your house doesn't save you nope if that is what that is your house offline on site right would be the time machine yeah that's right that's right which is great it's great to have a fast you gotta have them backup, both but you you gotta have them both you really do can you have online off-site and off-site online online off offline Anyway, Scrivener. Uh, Scrivener for iOS is now out, and uh, you and yes. Mr. Dan Moran wrote a little collaborative piece last week, kind of previewing it, which was kind of nice. You don't really see too many of those stories happen, um, but I like that you guys did that. That was a lot of fun to see. But it's I now felt like, out. I felt very Vitici-like, very Vitici-like where, yeah. with the, I've been using the beta for a while, and here's and what I think. let me tell you how it works. Yeah, and, that's, uh, yeah. yeah. That, oh, and Mr. Vitici, he is, uh, he's diving deep into Scrivener as well for his, his uh, iOS review. Yeah. Um, so we covered that um, a little bit on Connected. Mm-hmm. But this was a somebody who is coming to Scrivener for the first time, right? That's what Federico was, was doing here, and it's he was using it for a new that, project. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, how long have you used the Scrivener application in any of its forms? Something like 10 years, maybe 2006, something like that. Wow. Um, well, I, I wrote, so I wrote my first time I tried to do, uh, first time I did National Novel Writing Month, I wrote in BB Edit and I outlined in on the outliner and... Uh, then I discovered Scrivener. I tried a bunch of different writing apps, and the one that stuck was Scrivener. And one of the things I really liked, it, wor- it worked the way that I wanted it to, and one of the things I really liked about it was that it has an outliner mode and a writing mode, and they are connected. So instead of having Omni Outliner over there and BB Edit over here with chapters, every item in my outline was itself the chapter 
Um, and I could toggle back and forth and see those notes at any point, And that was pretty cool. And so I wrote the first, whatever, uh, 50, 60,000 words of my first, uh, novel manuscript in BB edit. And then since then, every, um, every novel and, uh, some of my OS 10 reviews and other long form reviews I've done in Scrivener. Okay. So obviously there's some changes here. So like differences for applications that you use. So is it just the big chunky things like novels and like maybe multiple, maybe tens of thousands of word articles, I guess, that you would write? Things that you feel like can be easily cut up into chunks. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason that I use Scrivener for this stuff is because it, it is a writing tool that's also an organizational tool. If if it's something small, I will just use BBEdit because mm. I that's that tends to be what I use. It's it's always open on my Mac. I, I you know and I'll I'll use that, but um, but Scrivener adds this layer of uh, support for what goes around the document. So. Like I said, there's a there's an outline view, and those outline items are themselves text documents. So you end up with uh, like what Federico, I assume, is doing, and what I did with um, I actually sent him a screenshot of my like mountain lion review or something like that, where I said, uh, you know, here essentially I put down like all the major features of the OS, um, and in this outline. So it's like, okay, what do I need to cover? I need to cover these, 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 these. Um, and then each of those little items in the outline, you know, you you open them in Scrivener, you click on them, and you're in the text view, and you can begin like writing your notes or writing your article, uh, and it all, and then they all kind of roll up into one document if you wanted to. Uh, but there's also like a, a, a like a research folder where you can dump PDFs and images and mm-hmm. web links and other notes that you've taken. Um, and uh, so you can, there's even like a corkboard view. If you're somebody who works like that in terms of organization, it also means that as I'm writing the story, if I think that they're the sections are in the wrong order, I can just drag around and reorder the sections and they just reorder because it's easy to do that. So, uh, so that's the value that it adds is it adds uh, a lot of tools to manage complex projects um you can tag your um you can tag your 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 documents i was going to say chapters but they don't have to be chapters with things like on the novel that i'm revising now i've got a first draft tag on all the chapters and when i'm finished with a with a pass i i have a revised draft Mm -hmm. tag that i put on them and you can see the difference at a glance it's color-coded um you know lots of stuff like that so that that's the thing that puts it over the top for me uh, as a tool to use for some projects is that it's that it's you know it's adding structure and tools tools that are are much more often required on a big long-term project than they are on something short um so you, as someone who's used the uh, mac os version for such a long time what makes the ios version stand out for you like what of the ios version if anything stands out this could be good or bad i guess uh well the ios version one of the things that stands out about it i mean they, they they've Literature and Latte, the company that makes Scrivener, has tried uh, very hard for uh, a few years now to do an iOS version. And there's a whole story about, you know, they've gone through at least two developers and it just didn't ever happen. And finally, um, the guy who wrote Scrivener for the Mac just decided, I'm going to do this. And he wrote the Scrivener for iOS. Uh, because it's coming from this product that's been around for a decade, the fact is that it uh, it is 
they couldn't just release Scrivener Lite. I think I think they could have and maybe should have considered releasing a Scrivener document you know, like viewer yeah. and basic app five years ago, three years ago. This I think application maybe, has been in development for like what seven years, eight years. <laughs> I, I the I mean the iOS app alone has been in development for very a very long time and it's yeah maybe just about kind five of, or six right because it, it they, they started talking yeah. about this when the iPad was new yeah and and uh, it just yeah the, there was a whole series of bad things that happened essentially that prevented them yeah. from from getting it out so so anyway when they finally decided uh, when when he finally decided he was going to do it um it's not a it's not a light version it's not a it, for a 1.0 that's the thing that surprises me about the ios version is that it's got a lot of depth a lot of features it's got gestures and uh it's got not all the features of the mac or there's also a windows version um but but a lot of them, um, and uh, yeah, there's a few things that I use in the Mac version that aren't in the in the iOS version. But it's basically almost entirely there, and that's the thing that impresses me about it. Out the out the gate is it was a long wait, but what you, what you get is the real thing, mm-hmm. and not a you know a sort of pale imitation of the real thing. Are there any situations where you can imagine that you would choose the iOS version of Scrivener to do your work in over the over the Mac version now? Well, I mean, the reason is that I have an iOS device with me and not a Mac, right? That, right. I think that's the reason. And uh, I, as I, we've talked about on this show, we don't, um, you know, I, I'm trying not to take my Mac with me when I travel. It, it happens occasionally, but like my goal is not to bring an iPad, an iPhone, and a Mac with me when I go on a, on a flight. <laughs> my goal is to leave the Mac behind and just use the iPad and the iPhone. That 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 should be enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, it isn't always, but it, it often is. And that that that's the reasoning. I mean, we we were talking before the show started. I uh, I I'm I did bring my laptop with me for a few different reasons this week, and I'm using right now but uh it, it often it needed to do a lot of software updating when i opened it to prep it for this trip because i just don't you know when i when i leave my desk and i'm in the rest of the house or i'm outside at home i'm generally not using a laptop i'm anymore i'm using an ipad and so in those in the all those circumstances when i've got the ipad that's what i want to do is i, I want to be able to work on my novel revision in scrivener on the ipad and up to now i haven't been able to do that if i didn't have a mac with me that the novel revision stuff was not going to happen so now it can so it's not so much that you would maybe be sitting at home and be like oh i'm gonna pick up the ipad because scrivener is better or here or whatever but what it's done is it's allowing you to take that novel work with you on the go yeah i i think that's fair to say i i don't think they're particularly unless there's some very specific things i mean for the most part it's just uh both versions work and it's what tool do you want to use which is how how it should be i think okay that's cool then well at least now you've got it right that that's the good thing so now would you have just not done anything like if you were if you were away right now like you are and maybe a year ago and you had the desire to work on the novel would that have just been well i can't do this uh, pretty much. Although okay. they they did have uh they did have this weird export feature where basically every time you saved out of or quit out of Scrivener for the Mac, it it could optionally build a bunch of uh, text files 
in Dropbox. And that if you edited those, then when you launched the Mac app again later, it would pull in the text file from Dropbox. It was mm-hmm. really not a good system. Mm-hmm. Uh, it worked, but, you know, and, and uh, I didn't do that. I mean, that's the, the bottom line is that, no, uh, one of the things about, and I know writers who switched from Scrivener to other things specifically because of this, because they wanted to be able to access it on the iPad, and they couldn't. And that is the thing that they have really, ha- they are going to have to deal with, um, is that by not having this app for five years, they have lost some customers, and they may not get the, any of those customers back, or may, they may not get many of them back. And uh, that's, I, you know, I feel bad for them, but that's, I, I can't blame the writers if, if you if you have to have access to your novels on your iPad for the last five years. You, you, there's no way you could keep using Scrivener for that because it's just not, it just was not the way to do it. But now you can. So uh, for me. I was not prompted at any point to to give up and and uh, switch from Scrivener. It, it just never got to that point for me. Uh, but it's been more difficult since I've stopped traveling with the laptop so much because now I don't have access to that stuff at all. Um, oh, I wanted to mention do. we have we have a I do now. It's great. Uh, in the chat room, uh, Dave asked a couple of questions that I thought I would. I, he asked me if I could compare Scrivener to Ulysses. It's hard. Um, it's hard to do that. He says, curious about both of them. They're too expensive just to try out to see. Do they not have demo versions? I, I think maybe they do have demo versions on the Mac that you could try anyway. Um, and I haven't used Ulysses uh, enough lately to compare them. It's been okay. a while. I, I used Ulysses early on, um, and it was one of the tools that sort of fell by the wayside when I, when I discovered Scrivener, because Scrivener worked better for me. But Ulysses has come a long way since then, and they've done some amazing things. Their iOS version is really good. Um, what I've seen of it, but I haven't used it enough to do a deep comparison. And then Dave also asked something that is similar to what Federico Vatici asked me, which is, um, the, what's the format like, and can I write in in Markdown? And the answer is basically that it's a it's a style text format. I think technically on the inside it may it may all be RTF. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you but you know i don't use the styles i actually write in markdown and that's what i told federico because he writes in markdown it's got some markdown support i actually wish it was better i think this is one of those things that ultimately um federico will probably give feedback to keith at literature and latte about that uh, you know it, one, a feature that he that federico would use and that i would probably use would be to uh build uh, an HTML page, a single page using uh, using Markdown. But all I do now is I just copy the project out in text and run it through Markdown. And it works great. <laughs> works just fine. Um, and it will also compile out of its format um, into lots of different formats into pdf and into microsoft word and you know various manuscript submission formats and things like that so it's got a bunch of features the idea is you work in scrivener and then you can build um you know you can build ebooks or you can build uh pdfs or you can build word files or you can build html and there are a bunch of different formats that you can export Um, but it's also a package and i believe on the inside if you really because some people care about this although i think it's not practical for most people i think if you open up the scrivener package uh what's inside are files (laughs) like you can open them and there you will find text in them and that i think they may be rtfs but that's all they are they're not it's not some monolithic confusing binary file format it's a package which with a bunch of stuff in it including text files or rtf files whilst we're talking about writing on the ipad you just got your hands on one of those razor keyboards Um, i did the the new ipad pro razor mechanical keyboard 
Oh, uh, yes. I want to ask you a few questions about it. People can go and read uh, your little review that you put up, and it's in uh, our show notes. But I wanted to ask you, just how mechanical is this Razer mechanical keyboard that they have apparently built for the iPad? Well, it's it's mechanical. It is. It is. They built a uh, mechanical key switch. It does the thing where you push it down, and it does the little the little pop kind of thing. I mean, it is. They they say it is the thinnest mechanical key switch ever. And this is a, Razer is a company that makes gaming keyboards, and uh, mechanical uh, keyboards are very popular. Not just with people like me who like clicky keyboards, but they're very popular with gaming with gamers too. They like the feel of them. They like the responsiveness of them. Um, so they wanted to make one for mobile. And then they wanted to make an iPad Pro, uh, and it's for the twelve nine. They haven't even done a, a nine point seven version. This is for the the twelve nine using this, and it's a surprisingly thin, uh, you know, deck basically that's got this uh, that's got this keyboard on it, and uh, it's very clicky. Although um, honestly, when I put my headphones in, I discovered that you know because there are two aspects of any mechanical keyboard there's the feeling the tactile uh, when you're typing and there's the what you hear the the Mm -hmm, oral mm -hmm. and uh like taste and uh smell right they kind of go together to make an effect uh so you put your headphones in and you can't hear the keyboard anymore and uh it still feels uh different and it's got an interesting tactile feel but you lose a lot of the effect of it because i think that i think it's a much clickier keyboard um in terms of sound than it may maybe feels dramatically different from something like the logitech create keyboard mm-hmm. um but it, it does it does have a feel i mean if you're if you're somebody who loves mechanical keyboards and just has dreamt of having a mechanical keyboard uh, for your ipad this one uh, for uh, if you've got a 12.9 ipad pro this one is that like this is it this is your choice at this point for you which is more important in a mechanical keyboard the sound or the feeling uh i would say the feeling is right. more important Okay, so um, this maybe doesn't tick that box well enough. Well, mo- in mobile situations, so I got a couple things about mobile. Uh, one is in mobile situations, I've usually got my headphones in. Yep. If I'm out and about, I'm usually cranking on something, and I got my headphones in with music on, so I can't hear the keyboard anyway. Uh, when I'm sitting at my desk on my Mac with my clicky keyboard that I've got, that Leopold mechanical keyboard that I have, that's wacky, and I love it. Um, I hear it because I don't usually work with headphones in unless I'm podcasting, in which case I'm using a much quieter keyboard. Um, and and I like the clicky sound then. But uh, so it, it's not like it doesn't have an effect. But when uh, in a mobile context, it, I think it's much less important than the than the feel. Um, and I, I will point out too that let's pause for a moment and reflect about the mobile context because we're talking about a loud clicky keyboard that you're taking out into the world Mm -hmm. and i i will just say uh to any prospective buyers of the razor keyboard that uh, do you want to be the person at starbucks who's in the corner disturbing everyone with your loud clicky keyboard because in a mobile context you are going to be inflicting your noise on other people and maybe you do want to be that person or maybe you think it's not a big deal that's fine but for me i've never really thought about my keyboard noise when i go out in public and i'm working somewhere but with this keyboard i totally would and i wouldn't feel great about it Mm. so okay yes that's that's not so good right to make you kind of conscious of it 
Yeah, I mean, and again, that's me, right? I mean, most people yeah. might not care. They might listen and be like, "Oh, this is fine. Nobody's going to know." There's music playing at the, at the, at the cafe, and people are talking, and this is just, and people are working on computers, and then there'll be some clicky sounds, and it's not like it's like blasting clickiness, but it, it is, uh, you know, it's a, it is a noticeably clickier keyboard than every other keyboard that's yeah. on somebody's laptop or whatever. So it's part case, part keyboard, right? You, yeah. You get the mechanical keyboard, but there's also a case which has like a kickstand. Um, how do they work together? I know that they can be detached. What is that like? Do you have to have the case on for the keyboard to work? No. So it's a Bluetooth keyboard. Um, and they say that with the backlighting on, it'll last about 10 hours and with the backlighting off. So it's a backlit Bluetooth keyboard. Um, with the backlighting off, they say it'll last like a thousand hours or something. It's only uh, a six hundred. That's okay. It's a long time, Which is, right? So it might as well be a thousand if it's six hundred, right? Yeah, because <laughs> it, it exactly. doesn't matter. <laughs> just leave the backlight off, and uh, you could just use it forever. Um, so the uh, because it's Bluetooth, people. Uh, I've talked to some people who are like, "Oh, I'm I'm really disappointed. It doesn't use the smart connector." And it's like, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, advantage of the smart connector is that it is uh, providing power, so you don't have to charge it. I heard somebody say, "I I can't like." They, somebody said. I don't want to use a Bluetooth keyboard because it's uh, Bluetooth is uh, Bluetooth keyboards are unreliable. And I I meant to respond. I don't think I ever responded to that person. But like, I don't know where you are or what you're doing. But I have never found Bluetooth keyboards to be unreliable. I type really fast. That sounds to me. They work just like fine. Somebody who plays games. Maybe so. Well, if you're playing keyboard based games on your iPad Pro. Um, I guess use a smart connector keyboard, but come on. No, it's not. No, but a- like that sounds to me like somebody who has Bluetooth prejudice because they play first person shooters. It's, and it's possible. I'm not sure if they're really that unreliable for games, but it's just one of those things that <laughs> uh, is why like when you go to the Razer website, everything has chords. Uh, see, uh, right? that makes that makes sense. Well, my my bigger point is, I don't think there's a major because I've heard people say, "Oh well, you know, one of the disadvantages of using this keyboard versus that keyboard is that this is smart connector and that's Bluetooth, and smart connector is better." It's like, okay, why? Why is smart connector better? And in my opinion, smart connector is better because you never have to charge it. Smart connector because Bluetooth works fine, um, and if you've got a Bluetooth keyboard that can last tens or hundreds of hours, maybe it really doesn't matter. Um, the other advantage i suppose is that if you're using a smart connector you actually have to have a physical connection with the ipad and you don't have to do that with uh bluetooth and so this uh this razor case even though so it's got a back plate that you kind of clip on the iphone or the ipad and it's like a a little case on the ipad and uh it's got a kickstand a metal kickstand which seems fairly sturdy and rugged and then the keyboard comes out but you can just pull the keyboard off and it just comes off. So one of the things I like about the way that this keyboard works is that you can uh, you can put the iPad up and you can put the keyboard down mm-hmm. further, which is ergonomically better. You could like type with the keyboard in your lap and the uh, and the iPad up on a table or a desk, and it works just fine. Um, what I don't like about it is that it doesn't work as a laptop. And I, I think that for for depending on how you work, if you find yourself always working at a table or a desk. Uh, this is not relevant. If you find yourself working where you're seated somewhere and the device is in your lap, uh, 
there's a class of of these products that it's just it's not going to work because it doesn't work like that and this is that this is that it needs its kickstand on a surface in order to hold the screen up the screen won't stay up the ipad won't stay up on its own and that's the the logitech does that i think zag makes one that does that but this one won't do that and 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 for me that honestly is like the biggest deal breaker about all of this Mm -hmm. um Although there's also the weight, because this is a uh, very, I would say, uh, well-made, it feels pretty sturdy uh, product, but it is a 2.1-pound product. So I struggled to put that into context when you said 2.1 pounds. It's like, I don't know, you know, I, I don't really know what that is, right? My my 9.7-inch iPad could weigh 2.1 pounds. Like, I don't really th- think of the weight like that. But then you did put it into context so beautifully when you said the whole thing, so the iPad and the case, will then come in at 3.7 pounds. In other words, it's heavier than the 13-inch Retina MacBook Pro. Yeah. I know the weight of a MacBook Pro, and I don't want my iPad feeling that heavy. heavy I, because I, my 12.9-inch yeah. my exactly. iPad with the smart keyboard is too heavy for me. I, it, no, it's too heavy. It's heavier than I would like it to be, right? I want yeah. it to be lighter than that. So the idea of it now being heavier than my MacBook is breaking part of the reason why i like my ipad in the first place i agree with you and i think that i think that for me uh i mean i I feel that way about the logitech create too yep and the logitech creates 1.6 pounds so it's lighter than this although that's that it's the weight of the ipad pro so the logitech create just doubles the weight of the ipad pro um this more than doubles it (laughs) um and I, my feeling is like, okay, you've turned this into a laptop. Now, I wrote a piece in Macworld about this. It's like the iPad is not a laptop. The iPad, I like, and I like typing on an iPad, but it's not a laptop. And the more you make it like a laptop, I think the worse it is. You At that point, you should just get a laptop if that's really what you want. But as you said, like one of the reasons that this is even worse than a laptop is you can't actually put it on your lap because of the yeah. kickstand isn't really comfortable for that. Like the smart keyboard... It's not perfect, but it works. Yeah, exactly. It's it's. Uh, I don't think the smart keyboard is particularly stable in your lap either. No, but it can <laughs> but do the job. You could f- I've done it. Yeah, you I can, do it you every can day. Kind of fake it. The Logitech create. So the Logitech create is very good at that. But uh, again, it's doubling the weight, and it's hard to get that thing in and out of the case. Mm-hmm. At least this one, and I believe the Zag case is like this too, and I haven't used the Zag case yet, so I can't say. But I believe because that one's a Bluetooth case, it comes off. So at least you can take these and pull the keyboard away and pick up the iPad and use it like an iPad in a heavy case, but but like an iPad and hold yeah. it in your hand and, and ditch the keyboard for a little while. Um, the, the Logitech one... It's snapped in there, and you got to like unsnap it and pull it out to get it out of the the laptop configuration. And you know, Serenity Caldwell swears by that thing uh, because she uses it all the time for writing. And I I I get it. Again, if that is your priority, it uh it, it can work for you. But for me, yeah, I, I one of the joys of using an iPad all the time is that I can just pick it up and I've got an iPad. And if and and then I can plop it down somewhere in like a stand with a Bluetooth keyboard, and then I can type a little bit. But then I can pick it up and just walk away with it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these cases make that make them more encumbered and make that uh, more painful to get to that point. And at some point it crosses over, and I think this is not what I want in my iPad experience. 
because as you said uh, then it, then you know then it's a laptop and um it's not a good laptop i mean that's the the ipad is a great device in so many different ways but it's not a laptop it doesn't have a pointer <laughs> you know and there's no trackpad or anything like that it, it's what makes it good is that it's 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 light and that you can carry it around without a keyboard and then add a keyboard if you want and if you make it too complicated to add that keyboard and keep it on there then you're losing the other the other part of being an ipad i'm not gonna get one of these i mean i was i was mildly interested um but you know in the same way that you say that ren swears by the logitech create i swear by the smart keyboard i love that thing yeah because i have a keyboard on my ipad all the time and it's easy and it also is the case i expressed a lot of skepticism about the about the smart keyboard and i like that i like the 9.7 more than the 12.9 um, because it is so much lighter. <laughs> yeah, the twelve point nine one is an incredible amount of material. Yeah, but uh, after um, after a while of living with all of these, uh, it is funny that that I'm back to saying that the that the smart keyboard is is a pretty good option for a lot of people. I think I feel like if you want to have your keyboard with you all the time. At this point, the smart keyboard is probably the best option. And uh, as for me, uh, what I prefer to do is bring a bring a Bluetooth keyboard and mm-hmm. uh, and a stand. And uh, that that's uh, it doesn't work for everybody. It depends on where you're going and what you're doing. Um, I for a while I was just using my old origami. <laughs> Uh, workstation stand that I got for my original iPad still mm-hmm. works. Gotta say, still works uh, just fine. But uh, but I think the smart keyboard, yeah, it's looking better all the time now because I've seen some of these other options and I'm not sure. I I see why you pay the price you pay for the thinness and the lightness, even though it is a little bit bulky. Because when you get a lot thicker and a lot heavier, uh, it, it the the it's worse. Um, and I don't like how those keys feel, but Oh, I didn't even mention the other thing about the Razer is that it uses a different key layout. It's not the standard kind of key layout that people expect from uh, from like a MacBook, uh, MacBook Pro, MacBook Air. Uh, the arrow keys are in a different configuration. Um, the up arrow keys actually between the shift and the slash. How weird is that? The command key is not wide. It's a it's a standard key width. There's a lot of things like that, and 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 the problem there is just you got to get used to key layouts. And if you if this is not the only keyboard you're using, especially if you're using a lot of Apple products, this one's always going to be weird because you're using these other products. You'd get used to it if it's the only keyboard you ever use. But is that how many people is that? Um, and honestly, that was the thing that made me decide I didn't want to use this keyboard anymore. More than anything else, it it was that, which is okay. It's a nice keyboard and all, but this layout is just terrible. <laughs> I yeah. can't, I can't do it. I can't Super do weird. it. Super weird. Yeah. All right. This episode is also brought to you by Igloo. Work is no longer a location. Teams can be together half a world away, right? So me and Jason, for example, we work across from each other on the other side of the earth. There are so many people doing this these days. And Igloo is a modern internet designed to keep everyone on the same page no matter where they are located. You can share files, have conversations in real time, and do it all while still being able to use the apps that you currently use. Apps like Box, Google Drive, and Skype. Igloo brings everything together and creates a single destination that lets you focus on your work. Put simply, Igloo is an internet you'll actually like. Try it out today at igloosoftware.com slash 
Upgrade, thank you so much to Igloo for their support of this show and Relay FM. Jason Snell, it is yes, sir. or has been Comic-Con, which is, as we discussed last week, is why you are now in the greater LA area, because Comic-Con has, has been gone. Yes, I'm, he- I'm headed to San Diego now that the... Uh... <laughs> Now that it's over. Yay! So, I think that we actually always do that, this, on this show. I think it's probably the third time we've done this, is to actually talk about some of the stuff that happened at Comic-Con. Just very briefly. Okay. Um, I just wanted to get your opinion on three trailers and one piece of news. Okay. So, the first up is the Wonder Woman trailer. So, I'll put links to these in the show notes. If you haven't seen the trailers, there's YouTube links there. I recommend that you go... Uh, and watch these if you're interested. Uh, so I wanted to get your feeling about this Wonder Woman trailer. So Wonder Woman will be the first superhero movie with a female title lead, right? Yeah, Beat Marvel to the so. punch. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen Batman vs Superman, so I you know I haven't really gotten a feel for Wonder Woman until now. Um, this is not the movie I was expecting Wonder Woman to be. It kind of looks like Captain America, right? Because yeah. it's set in maybe the 40s or the 50s, I could, uh, maybe the 30s. I can't really work out when it's meant to be exactly. Um, but I don't know. War. I, it was looking like it might be World War One. Yeah. Not... I, do you know what? I think you might be right there, actually. Um, it is set It is set during a war in the past. I, I'm. Uh, we're getting yeah. confirmation in the chat room that it was World War One. Yeah. This looks very much to me like it could be DC's Captain America. Well, yeah, I, I think, um, and it harkens back it, it, to those of us who grew up when the Wonder Woman TV show was on. That was set oh, okay. in, the, in the past. I don't really have a lot of knowledge of Wonder Woman. I've not, never really been too far into DC huh. other than Batman. Uh, so, so Wonder Woman has always been on the periphery for me. I've been more focused on the Marvel stuff in my life. Um, but it's interesting to hear that. I guess they were using Wonder Woman in the same way that Marvel used Captain America, right? As a way to kind of draw up some slightly American propaganda during wartime stuff, I guess. Yeah, I think that's not... Uh, Wonder Woman's legacy actually is fascinating and, and uh, not uh, honestly entirely for a family uh, show. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I actually watched a play about the guy who created Wonder Woman. Interesting guy, inventor oh, interesting. of the uh, inventor of the lie detector. I am blown away by all of this information you're throwing at me right now. <laughs> um, yeah. So when she has the magic lasso that that makes people tell the truth, it was uh, written by the guy who invented the lie detector. Uh, I think the trailer was look look good. Uh, I do agree. It's got a, a Captain America vibe. I think that's a good thing. I really like the Captain America movie. So the idea is that since she's from a mythical land, uh, you know, uh, uh, she's. Uh, basically an immortal and so she we, we first meet her here she's she you know it's it's a long time ago and and there's a story set long ago and i think that's uh interesting we've already met her in the batman superman movie and she's going to be in justice league but we've got her uh here sort of like telling her story without those other uh, characters in the way what is the actress's name uh is it gal gadot that's it yeah uh, she's most of the reviews of Batman versus Superman, which I haven't seen either, say that she's really good in it. That she's mm-hmm. like they wanted everybody wanted more more Wonder Woman in it. Yeah, I mean the trailer, like she she seemed real convincing, like in in, yep. in everything that she was doing. Uh, I had no idea Chris Pine was going to be in this movie. That is weird to me. Yeah, he's Steve Trevor. Who he's the uh, yeah again a character who was also in the TV show. Yeah, but 
honestly, like I watched this and I was like, I watched that movie. Like I'm yep. interested in this movie more interested than I am to see Batman versus Superman. I think sure. uh, she seems like oh, a yeah. good, strong lead. Um, she looks like Wonder Woman to me, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah I think they did, they did a good job. They've been trying to make a Wonder Woman movie for a long time. Right. <laughs> Joss Whedon wrote a screenplay. It's, they've been trying for a long time. It's good to see because she's one of the um, DC, one of the things that DC really does have over Marvel is that is that uh, DC's got uh, a woman superhero in their trinity. You know, in the in the the, the top tier of DC heroes are um, are Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Those are the those are the three DC superheroes at the top, and they have tried, <laughs> and it's just never happened. And now it's going to happen, and it looks good. the 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 art direction looks looks good. Um, yeah, I'm I'm. It looks good to me. I think good job. That's the it's it's uh, a couple of years ago. DC's movie lineup at uh, at Comic Con made everybody roll their eyes and be like, "Really? Are you doing this? This seems like you're just desperately trying to catch up with Marvel." And after Batman versus Superman didn't do that well, they they de- definitely have made a bunch of uh, changes in who's in charge and who's got a say and all of that. And I think you're seeing it here with this that they're they're uh, they're doing it on the fly but uh everybody seems much more optimistic about what they've got coming down the pipe than they did a year or two ago on that comment then justice league so wonder woman will be joining uh ben affleck batman uh superman who is played by henry cavill yep along with the flash uh aquaman and another character that i don't Uh, know cyborg okay i never have heard or seen that character i don't think um, and Aquaman is Jason Momoa, who you may yep. know as Cal Drogo from Game of Thrones, and he, yeah, he that was they had so they had a clip, they had like some sample clips from it wasn't quite a trailer, but it was like a montage for Comic Con. It looked like a trailer to me. I don't know. Yeah, it was kind of a trailer. Kind of, it was trailerish. Yeah, trailer esque. So, mentioning what you just said about the changes, this is a Zack Snyder movie. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> is it? It is. He's directing it. The ru- the rumors are that Zack Snyder's creative control over this franchise is slipping away, right? And okay. that because of Batman versus Superman, and that while he's directing it, apparently uh, he's now an employee more than he was before as mm. a creative leader. And that uh, famously, the rumor is that Ben Affleck has assumed more creative control over the franchise and because uh, he was mad at how Batman versus Superman did and what was in it. And huh. uh, this is so, so my understanding is that justice league has gone on some uh, through some creative changes and that they're really trying to get across here that, that it's not going to be as dark and grim as Batman versus it Superman. It didn't look like it. It had war, lots of comedy in what we yeah. saw. And I guess they chose those scenes specifically to prove that it's a lighter tone, right? Yeah, I mean, they they also invited like a bunch of journalists to go see stuff being shot, and I they're really trying to get across the point that that they're uh, they're making some changes. But like the the scene with Batman and the Flash was pretty funny. I thought that was a that was a, yeah. a an especially amusing bit. Although I loved all the Aquaman stuff too. Aquaman, who famously is just the butt of jokes, as this blonde-haired dude in an orange jumpsuit who lives in the ocean and talks to fish and uh, the jason momoa aquaman stuff was uh, really cool actually and i thought it was uh, funny badass cool. right yeah. like i'm scared of that guy <laughs> you know big tattooed guy with the long mm-hmm. hair like a, a thor looking character to me you know? yeah sure like a big mythical being um uh-huh i've got to say this 
this trailer collection of scenes tickled my fancy. I like the look of it. Um, interestingly, Superman. I don't. I don't recall any Superman part in this trailer at all. Well, I uh, I believe that you and I, and again, we're, we're on the verge of spoiling things, but. Um, there are reasons plot-wise that Superman does not appear in this All right. stuff. And I don't know what they are. <laughs> you don't know what they are. We haven't seen the movie, but okay. Yeah. I know I know what I know what they are, but it's okay. fine. It's fine, but that's that's why I think maybe after Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman, I think maybe not mentioning Superman in the Justice League trailer is fine. Like let's show off some of the other stuff we've got. Ben and the Ben Affleck Batman is is newer to us and uh and I I I like that take on Batman too. I I I am intrigued by the idea of this uh you know it's a little bit different movie batman where he's uh he's he's like been doing the job for a while and Grizzled is batman. now yeah I, I like that looks like it does look like dc are getting their act together with this one uh-huh. um i yeah. think that no. i think it still might be a little bit too late for them but we'll see what happens oh i mean it's never too late and marvel's going to have challenges too even though they, it seems like they're rolling now there there's always opportunity that the value in these uh iconic characters that that they own they they their first like i said their first swipe at this two or three years ago when they announced it um on the heels of man of steel um and i'm on the record as being a not a fan of man of steel i think the i, I really dislike the last half of that movie um and so when they made all these announcements and like we're doubling down on Zack snyder and we're gonna do all of this and i thought oh no this is oh no this is gonna They've end badly it, yeah. and i have to say i i got that one right um and because, you know, I could have been totally wrong and everybody could have embraced that thing. But I looked at the last half of Man of Steel and thought this is a mistake. And um, my reaction to that seems to have been lots of people's reaction to Batman versus <laughs> Superman. And they uh, they changed it up and they, they have a much a structure that's a little more like what Marvel has been doing. Um, and uh, it will probably serve them well. And they, they, they've got these characters that are so uh so iconic that uh yeah i think i think so i I, will we'll see how the appetite in general for superhero movies in the movie going population uh, goes over time people may get sick of it for a but they haven't yet so maybe they won't moving on to marvel um there were lots of little pieces of news and little bits shown uh like guardians of the galaxy volume 2 which is the best title for that movie. There are little bits and bobs, but a couple of things I wanted to pick out. Uh, we have the second trailer for Doctor Strange, which shows a lot more of the movie. Um, yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch still blows my mind that he's going to be in a Marvel movie, uh, assuming the role of Doctor Strange. This looked very Inception-esque with yeah. the special effects, which I think is great. I think that's a really interesting way to show this character who has the ability to kind of manipulate time, space, and dimensions. I think that that mm-hmm. works really well for that. Um, I don't know why they made him speak like an American. I think I, yeah, that might be a mistake. Mm, it's weird. It's not a good accent. Actually, let me reframe that. Rephrase it. It might be a good accent. It might be fine. The problem is, it's coming out of Benedict Cumberbatch's face. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so he wrong, may have it? the most convincing American accent of all time. But if you've ever seen him in anything, it's not going to be right. It's like yeah. It's like the the Hugh Laurie house problem, right? You know, oh, like if see, it, if American people hear Hugh Laurie, they think that everything has exploded because his voice is not coming out correctly. Right, because uh, all of America knows him as uh, as an American. Yep, when he's not, 
When he's uh, not. There was lots of stories that I always enjoy when he did interviews. He'd go on to chat shows and people had no idea. Like They were like, what on earth is he doing? Like, they thought he was putting <laughs> on a fake accent. But yeah, I've got to say, uh, this looks interesting. It looks, um, it looks maybe a little bit more focused towards adults. Uh, it looks quite complex of a movie, uh, which would maybe make sense why they bring Benedict in. And the the whole magic and stuff like that. I mean, it is this is Marvel having had so much box office success that they are willing to experiment and try some things in movies. They're going deep into the catalog now. Yeah, right? and, and try things that are outside. Like magic is not a thing that they've done like magic superhero movies before. Yeah. But that's what Doctor Strange is a magic guy. He's mm-hmm. not a he's not a flying around in, in with a cape. Well, he has a cape, I guess, but he doesn't fly like super guy, yeah. right? He instead he he uses his hands and goes and casts magic spells and and things yes exactly he's a sorcerer supreme because you look at marvel right they've done everything on planet earth then they went to space and that was an incredible success right then then they took a bet on an unknown character in ant-man and it was an incredible success so they're like well we could just turn anything to gold what else have we got doctor strange bring him out and i know that doctor strange is a big character to like to comic people yeah but I don't think that he's but, as well known outside I, of that. I mean, you could argue I Iron agree. Man was a similar situation when the when absolutely the original came out. Um, Nobody knew who Iron Man was. No, um, but now they're doing it with Doctor Strange, and and I think what they learned from Ant Man is why don't we just get a Hollywood star and put him in the role or her in the role, and that automatically draws attention to hmm. the, the the property. And I think they definitely did that with Paul Rudd and Ant-Man. I don't know if right. it would have worked if they would have maybe got somebody who was less known to play that character. Um, so it, I think that they are definitely learning everything and anything they need to do to make any of their movies a massive success. I, I will uh, say this about Marvel is that since this is a... Uh, whether you like these movies or not, they have changed a lot of the rules in how Hollywood works because they've made so much money and money talks. And one of the things I like about Marvel's approach is that they do for a disciplined, you know, cash machine, <laughs> they um they take <laughs> they take chances and I don't look I have not yet looked at a Marvel movie and said that's just lazy and it's a it's the whole cash grab, right? Yeah. I, I don't think yeah, they've yeah. I don't think they've done that yet they clearly Um, have rules internally right that they must be following with this stuff so they're not just churning things out they must have some kind of quality guidance and i oh yeah i wouldn't be surprised if that comes from marvel right the marvel part of marvel studios well it's kevin feige or whatever is the guy who's in charge and of marvel studios and he reports i believe to the head of disney uh film it, it's mm-hmm. it's uh in fact he doesn't report to the guy who runs marvel proper anymore oh yeah I because he's been so wildly up. successful um but but they have yeah they, they have some discipline there it's not to say that every marvel movie is going to be good um that that's probably you know like with pixar it's like no that's not true but i think they have a process that really works and that i like that they that they do um 
not have every movie seem like it's like every other movie. In fact, you could argue that that what what they're really trying to do here is build out a bunch of characters that aren't the Avengers, because the Avengers are a lot more samey than, uh, and I think it doesn't serve them well. It's like, oh, it's another Iron Man, Captain America, (laughs) Avengers movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Those can start to feel a little bit like, haven't we just seen them all before? So introducing these other characters and and going to other places, doing magic, doing sci-fi, that I think that's uh it's just been very smart for them to do that and they've made so much money that they really <laughs> they also uh they've got more latitude to do that so we mentioned wonder woman um marvel is finally working on a female led movie right captain yeah. marvel mm-hmm. uh, which is another one captain marvel not very well known no um and they have got brie larson uh, they announced is going to be playing Captain Marvel. Um, any thoughts on this? Uh, well, let's let's just say she's a. <laughs> anytime that you can get a an Oscar winning actress or Oscar winner in general, I forget that. To, yes, to to lead your movie, your your, your superhero movie. That's how it's changed, right? I think you're doing okay. I think That's you're doing how it's okay because she was in Room. She won the Oscar. Um, I think, I, yeah, I think you're doing okay. I, this is a this is an example too of a character who has been around at Marvel for a long time, uh, Carol Danvers. And then uh, there was a previous Captain Marvel who was a man because most of the superheroes back then were men. And she was Ms. Marvel. And then that character of Captain Marvel died. And it's one of the rare comic book deaths that has stuck. Um, but there are also like intellectual property issues and Captain Marvel is a name that Marvel owns. Uh, and there was a whole lawsuit with DC and predecessors of dc and it's it, it, a whole sorted story but basically this is one where they, they they picked up the captain marvel stuff and they and they handed it to this uh to carol danvers and uh and that has that was a quite a few years ago now and that has gone really well and there, there have been some really great runs of captain marvel in the comics and it became suddenly uh it became like almost a natural that she would be the and there's i i wonder what the the movie's going to be about but like the story there is that she was like a pilot and some iterations she's been a spy and then she she gets these powers uh it could be an interesting she so sometimes she's a cosmic sort of superhero almost in the guardians and the Gal- guardians of the galaxy kind of vein um and sometimes she's more earthbound uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with it, but it's a fun character, and so it's good to see that they that uh, they got a uh, an award winning actress to play it. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, this is great news, and I'm looking forward to that one as well, just because it's something different. Man, like Marvel movies, it's almost like its own film industry now. Oh, it is. It, I mean, this is the uh, well, like look at what's happening with Star Wars now. Star Wars, where there's a movie every year. Uh, this is the new model. Star Wars is a new movie every year. Pixar, there's a new movie every year. Marvel, there's like two new movies every year. Um, I, I, this is this is the model. I mean, they're trying to do that with uh, with DC. They're trying to do that with Harry Potter, where they're they're doing this new cycle of Harry Potter movies. The the uh, what is it? Fantastic Creatures and Where to Find Them, or whatever that is. Um, this is the franchising. It really is like turning. Um, turning the movies into a series of installment like TV shows almost. Um, and it's all because, you know, essentially <laughs> because the Avengers made a billion dollars. <laughs> and yeah. everybody in Hollywood's like, oh, um, 
Let's do that. Do we have any of those superheroes lying around? <laughs> Anybody got anything? Let's get get them, bring them out here, franchise them. Because Star Wars is the same way, right? Where it's not just that they're making new Star Wars movies. It's they're making a new Star Wars movie every year for the foreseeable future. They are and creating this is, the Star Wars cinema universe. Exactly. Know? Exactly. And in, th- in their case, they've got this anthology thing where they're going, like with Rogue One, they're going back in time, whereas Marvel, everything is sort of happening uh, simultaneously, other than like the, the first Captain America movie. But um, it's sort of fascinating to see. It's not... I, Andy Anako and I talked about this a little bit um, on an Incomparable a while ago. It's not really a movie anymore, right? Like the Avengers... It's not really a movie. It's an installment in a series in a shared universe. And if you're somebody who wants... Uh, some of these things are not going to be feel uh, remotely like standalone movies. Ant-Man did, and Guardians of the Galaxy did. But something like Captain America Civil War, what is that? <laughs> it's not a movie as we think of it. It's something different because it's an installment that requires knowledge. It's much more like an episode of a TV show. Um, and if you haven't watched the other er, other episodes, it won't be as impressive to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, uh, you know, it, it's... It's working, right? I mean, at least financially, it has been very successful. Audiences have responded to this. And so uh, we'll see where it takes us. But I, I think the, the concern from people in the movie industry is that the uh, uh, everything else is swamped by these franchises. Like nothing else is what what's left. <laughs> what's what, what other movies are being made <laughs> if everything is in a franchise? So that's uh, our Comic-Con thoughts. Yeah, for, for this year. So we should do some Ask Upgrade to round out the episode. Let's do it. Kim asked, any general thoughts on purchasing refurbished Apple products? If I do decide to go ahead, should I get Apple Care? Uh, I bought refurb Apple stuff before. Okay, I've never done it. So why did you do it? It's cheaper. <laughs> I mean, I know that's the main reason that people would do it. I just wondered if there was any any other kind of reasoning to it. But yeah, it's cheaper. I mean, you get the full you get the full warranty. How much cheaper is it? Oh, it's not. I mean, it's not as much as as like buying somebody's used thing. But the, generally, what it is is it's parts that have come, things that have been returned, and they will put them back together, uh, uh and uh, and send them back out or mm-hmm. something somebody returned or something that you know the the screen was defective but the rest of it is fine and they they replace the whole unit and then they go and they put a new screen on it and it's stuff like that that comes with a full warranty um i haven't had any problems i've only bought a few but i haven't had any problems it's a, it's a it's a way to get a little bit of a break on something that's still got apple's full warranty um and then i think at that point, your Apple Care decision is your usual Apple Care decision, which is, do you want it? What you know, weigh the weigh the issues there. You're going to, <laughs> I, I would say, if 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 the act of buying refurbished is the thing that pushes you over the edge to getting Apple Care, you probably just missed the point of the buying the refurbished, which is that it's cheaper. So if you're making it more expensive on top of that, you should just get a new one. But yep. um, if you're if you're somebody who always buys Apple Care, then that's fine, or never buys Apple Care, then it's fine. But Apple is standing by those systems. It, it's uh, they're just coming from uh, coming from a different place, so they can't sell them as you know brand new because it was something that was in somebody's hands at some point and then brought back to Apple. So I don't know the answer to this question, but I thought it might be just interesting <laughs> to discuss. Oz uh, is referencing CallKit in iOS 10, which is the ability for voice over internet applications like Skype and GoToMeeting to kind of appear as phone 
apps, right? They get the full screen calling notification stuff. They they look basically like a dialer. You can choose to call someone by default via one of those applications rather than FaceTime or by phone call. And Oz was wondering if the VoIP applications could use the favorites list to bypass Do Not Disturb in the same way that you could do that with the phone. Uh, Jason, do you have any idea if this is a, a possibility? I, I, I have no idea. No, it's an interesting idea. Like, yep. uh, it would be a really good disturb, you can You can say whether it's in my favorites list mm-hmm. or whatever like that, but I don't know if they can if they can tie into that or not, if it's attached to the address book and all of that. It's a ni- it would be a nice feature. I would say to Oz, that might be worth uh, filing a, uh, using feedback assistant or filing a radar, if you can do that, uh, to suggest that. Yep. Yeah, I have no idea, but I, I thought it was uh, a thing that's worthwhile bringing up yeah. because I could see it being as easily missed as added, if that makes sense. Right. But it's something that I think should be there if we're going to start treating voice over internet applications so much like they're the phone. It should get features like that, like do not disturb mm-hmm. integration. Um, Zach wanted to know, he asked, uh, I'm starting a podcast with a friend of mine. Is there anything that you wish you knew uh, when you were starting out that you know now. So let me give uh, some advice to my younger self and uh, there in turn to you, Zach. <laughs> Technology failures are inevitable. Um, your hardware will fail. Your software will fail. Things will go wrong. You cannot prepare for all of them. You will learn from them. They will cause you to break out profusely in sweat as you try and fix the issue after the fact. Just understand that they're going to happen. It doesn't mean that you don't know what you're doing because you actually kind of don't know what you're doing, uh, but it doesn't mean that you are uh, not smart enough to be able to deal with it. It just happens, and it's happened to me many times. I'm sure it's happened to Jason many times. Podcasting can be tricky in some instances. Just learn from them. They're learning experiences. As you're just starting out, you'll learn some stuff that you can take later. Um, It also takes time to lock a format in uh, to really kind of know the flow uh, of you and your co-hosts. But just give that some time to grow and you'll be happy that you you kind of do it and, and you learn and you move forward. Um, it does take some time to learn how to use all of the software that you're going to need. Um, GarageBand is easier, but it's still tricky in places. Logic Pro 10 is a nightmare of user interface. Um, all of this stuff takes time, but don't worry about putting the time in. Putting the time in will be good for you. Um, and once you start one podcast, you will inevitably want to do more. Just look at me and Jason. <laughs> Let that be a cautionary tale. Yes, that, they are my kind of tips, I guess, to somebody looking to start a podcast. I encourage people to do it. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, and you, it's it's all learning um, mm-hmm. the hardware and the software, both. Mm-hmm. To it's just, uh, but get started. I mean, I mean, I think that's, I think that's it. Is that you? You do have to go through it and uh and try it out and and my only piece of advice would probably be to just do it and don't worry about what hardware you've got and what software you've got start start making things and uh you'll figure it out but uh, don't don't not do it because you feel like you're not ready or you can't do it uh at a level like of quality that you want or that you're not just uh, you're not sure what it's going to be what the finished product's going to be like don't let any of that stuff get in your way just start Mm -hmm. and then you'll figure it out and Chris wanted to know if either of us still listen to Beats 1. I, I don't. I don't listen to it at all. I remembered while you were so Beats excited. 1... so excited. Beats 1 was very exciting to me, and I liked a lot of it, 
Um, but then I remembered why I don't listen to the radio. Which uh, is? It, it's not always the music I want to listen to. Yeah, that's it's not always the way. What's Linear so good about these music. music streaming services is they can and do learn your tastes and they will give you playlists of music to listen to that are kind of your tastes will be in your style a lot of the time apple music does a decent enough job of this for me that, that i like it and i know people love spotify discover weekly monthly hourly uh but i don't use spotify i use apple music and nine times out of ten when i go to the for you section there is a playlist that i can pick to listen to it typically is songs that i know and maybe some other stuff as well but i do like that um so it, it does a good enough job for me that's what my radio is in 2016 uh zane Lowe, i love you but i'm afraid i do not listen to beats one anymore because they, they just play stuff that i'm not interested in listening to and then i'm wondering why i'm listening to it always the way with me and radio same always on same, worldwide same, <laughs> same thing uh they play songs i don't want to hear so mm-hmm. i and you can't you can't fast forward. So I, I don't listen to it. Um, I discovered in the first week of Apple Music the um, A-list playlists, which is a uh, in-genre curated 50 songs yep. in every genre. They are great. And it's, up, and it's updated. And I love that. And so like for me, it's the alternative A-list. I listen to that playlist. I've discovered so many new bands and bands I'd never heard of and songs that I love. And I've created my own little selections from the A-list playlist that anything that I really love that I discover there, I drag it over. And so then I keep those. So I've got this kind of row and they, you know, 50. So they come in and they go off uh, over time. But the ones that I really love, I now have also built up this other playlist with those songs on it. And I've discovered albums uh, from, those artists and followed them through like there was a song on the uh 19 by the 1975 Mm -hmm. uh called someone else i think that i really liked that felt very tears for fearsy maybe with a little bit of uh at one point it sounds almost rick astley like but it's so 80s so steeped in the 80s and i really liked it and i said oh let me check out this band and uh the 1975 uh every other song they make basically doesn't sound like that but i actually really like a lot of their songs so that was a that was a great example of a fun discovery that i was able to follow and because it's a music streaming service i was able to um go and uh and just immediately listen to other stuff by that by that artist and yeah. um i've done that a bunch of times with uh, with the alternative A-list. So um, that's that's my radio because I can press, I can put the A-list on shuffle and if there's a song I like, I'll, I'll heart it or I'll add it to a playlist and if there's a song I don't like, I just go next and it takes me to the next song and nobody talks. <laughs> I don't want to hear them talk. I don't want to hear the news. I don't want to hear music news. I don't want to hear where some band is playing. I just play the music. So, yeah. Um. I've discovered one of my uh, favorite albums of the year via that way as well, which was uh, Leon Bridges. I don't think I ever would have picked that out, but it's an incredible album. Uh, I think it's called Coming Home. Mm -hmm. Superb. And uh, I thoroughly recommend it, and I would never have found it unless it was suggested to me then that way. So it does work, their music discovery stuff. Um, Maybe a little bit better than the radio. Sorry, radio. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Upgrade. You can find our show notes today at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 99. 99. 99. 
And if you want to find Jason online, he is at Jasonell, J-S-N-E-L-L, and he's at sixcolors.com. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks again to Igloo and Backblaze for supporting this week's episode. Thank you for listening, as always. Next week, we'll be back with episode 100, and we'll be discussing, uh, along with some other things, I assume, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Live long and prosper.